This is Business of Home. I'm your host, Dennis Scully. Every week, I'll be talking to leaders and innovators from all corners of the home industry. My guest this week is Lieb Omig, the CEO of manufacturing giant Glen Raven. Founded in 1880, Glen Raven has a deep history, manufacturing fabrics of all kinds. In the 1960s, it began producing a waterproof textile used for awnings under the Sumbrella brand. Over time, what was outside came in. No company has been more associated with the rise of performance fabrics than Sumbrella. I spoke with Lieb about the madness of the moment. His company's products have never been more in demand, but it's never been harder to make enough of them. He also shared an inside look at how performance fabrics are made and explained why designers are key to Sunbrella's future. This podcast is sponsored by The Bruno Effect, a new online marketplace giving interior designers access to the world's finest furniture and collectibles. The Bruno Effect has now launched with thousands of pieces from vetted dealers from across the globe. The marketplace is the destination for high-end antique, vintage, and contemporary design. What makes the Bruno Effect so distinctive? They're on a mission to liberate the design community. As a family-run business, they put relationships first, fostering transparency and open communication. Meaning once you've found your perfect piece, you can connect directly with the dealer to discuss the item and purchase it on your own terms. Visit thebrunoeffect.com now to discover a new way of sourcing. This podcast is also brought to you by Coppersmith, the Minneapolis-based custom metalwork company whose platform offers unlimited customization options. Coppersmith's newly redesigned website offers a 3D configurator, allowing designers to dream, render, and create range hoods, sinks, tabletops, fire pits, and bathtubs in more than 80 proprietary finishes. To order free samples and to learn more, visit worldcoppersmith.com. That's W-O-R-L-D-C-O-P-P-E-R-S-M-I-T-H dot com. And now, on with the show. So I feel like I want to share a, a little bit of the drama of some of what you've experienced. In your case, it was so extreme and, and so dramatic and, and happened all so quickly. Tell me just a, a little bit of sort of the, the decline that you experienced in the, in the early days of COVID and then sort of what, what happened next. So we were coming off a really good year in calendar year 19. We had just completed a $25 million capital investment to you know, increase our capacity to meet our future projections. And uh, then in March, between March 15th and uh, April 15th, we literally lost 70% of our forward order position globally. And so as a privately held company, that gets your attention. Had you ever experienced anything like that? Had you ever seen 70% decline? Not that steep of a decline. You know, I remember during the Great Recession, Dave Swirsch, who runs a Sunbrella business for us now, um, I was in his role. He was my, my commercial lead. And when we started thinking about the impact of that, he brought me in a projection that showed us at a, a 20% decline and about threw him out of my office. And little <laughs> did I know that it would be twice that. 
but we are, we treat, you know, we treat our customers and we feel like we're part of a cottage industry where everybody knows each other. So we know the principals and the businesses, uh, know their executive leadership all the way through the person they hired yesterday in many cases. And so when they're calling you and they're saying, look, you know, we've had a long standing relationship. We've been doing business together for decades, but I've got to protect my business. And therefore, I'm not going to be able to uh, follow through on the orders that I've placed. You know, that was happening just in real, you know, just rapidly in real time. And so then globally, we were involved in we were shutting down operations. And so as a privately held company, like I said, that uh, required us to go back to all of those playbooks and take a really uh, hard look at how we would navigate the pandemic. And, um, but we had no idea what the markets would look like. You know, what would the consumer attitudes be? And so, you know, and, and you overlay that with the, the shutdowns that were going on in the global economy and the four shutdowns of operations and making good decisions for your associates because, first and foremost, keeping them uh, safe and, and looking out for their well-being, it just disruptions came really quick. Right. So let's talk about where we are today. So you went from being down 70% to now the business takes off. You're literally consuming all of the extra capacity you you had built and you just simply don't have enough product. And it sounds like you're in that difficult position that a lot of companies are looking at right now saying, okay, I don't have enough product. Who am I going to deliver product to? Who are those businesses that are my long-term partners, right? That I'm going to prioritize o- over over others. Tell me what that process looks like t- today, and how you're thinking about it. Those decisions are being made in in- every industry sector, and um, sure. of course, over time, due to raw materials, and in some cases, particular customers who ha- you know what they purchase from us are in uh, p- particular color families or styling. You know, we've had to make decisions that, hey, we no longer have access to those raw materials. Or when we look at our global capacity needs, um, it's such a small part of that that we've got to move on to, you know, where we can serve the greater good. But those decisions are being made, you know, they're being made every day. And in many cases, they're, they're being made just, you know, one off with conversations and programs that are in flight and new programs that customers are launching that you want to make sure that you can help support. But we're also making decisions about longer term capital investment. And that's not only, again, it won't address the immediate with the pandemic, at least not in the in the short term. But we also have other programs and other plans that we have that are wired up and ready to go. But we want to make sure that, you know, we can serve the needs of the, our customers today before we even think about launching these programs uh, for the future. So, and I think it is also important to know that throughout this, um, we have uh, we have produced more Sunbrella in 2021 than we, than we have ever have in our history. It just doesn't feel that way when the demand <laughs> is so high, right? And well, so, so, that, so that's, that's such an interesting point though. So tell me how much fabric did you produce? I mean, tell me how much Sunbrella, I mean, how big is your, your market? Give me an understanding. Yeah, so what I will tell you is that we uh, produced 20% more this year than we have in our previous high watermark, uh, okay. which would have been 2018 would have been a previous high watermark. And, and again, in terms of, of the market, I mean, clearly the indoor market is, is sizable. We're a relatively small player there, but we have, have great aspirations for indoor because, quite honestly, we feel like the performance story really resonates with active families. 
And then the outdoor market is a, is a smaller market, but it's one that we, you know, help do some pioneering work early on in terms of deep seeding. Yeah. And so what we're thinking about now is that this step change that we've seen in these markets, how do we as an industry, I mean, whether you're a manufacturer, a marketer, a designer, a furniture manufacturer, a retailer, how do we make this demand sticky? I mean, this is a, you know, this is the first time in my career, the greatest opportunity I've seen for us to really elevate uh, our industry sector performance or not. And so if we do our jobs, this is really going to be a um, pivotal moment in the market for all of us. Well, it it certainly seems that way. But interestingly, even with that 20% increase in your production, it wasn't nearly enough. Right. And so tell me how how far ahead the demand is running to your supply. That's what I'm trying to get a sense of, because so many companies that I talk to tell me that they haven't yet even experienced a week where their output it was greater than than their order demand. So they, they can't possibly catch up. And it sounds like you're in the same situation. We're in a similar situation, but we have, again, because we're seeing progress both in our output, because we're bringing in, you know, we're getting beyond the labor shortage and the things right. we're addressing, our capacity, therefore, it's bringing up our capacity in total. We have, over the last month, we have reduced our back order position probably 10 or 15%. Okay. And so for us, we feel like, again, that's on the right track, right? That's getting right, us to right. a much better position as we move in to uh, next spring and next summer. And so we're starting to really see, we're meeting our expectations from a manufacturing standpoint, and we're still recruiting and we're still scaling up manufacturing. And so beyond uh, running uh, all the available hours that we have to us today, then bringing on these additional assets that will complement all of the equipment that we had already invested in and had already uh, had operational, that we should start to see those uh, see a significant improvement. So we're we're seeing the tide turn in terms of our ability. You know, demand is still strong, orders are still strong, but we're making progress against uh, against that from an overall positioning standpoint. Right. Help me understand in real layman terms what has to happen for you to make these millions of yards of Sumbrella fabric. Tell me where you're having to pull supplies from, pull the the acrylic and the yarn and everything else. Help me understand how this all comes together so that we have a, a sort of a better understanding of all of the resources that are brought to bear to make this product even possible. So for us, it starts with, you know, Sunbrella is predominantly solution dyed acrylic. You know, Sunbrella fibers are proprietary. We have IP associated with those. There's only a couple of producers globally for those fibers. Right. And so uh, we bring those into the U.S. I mean, that's that can be a, a 8, 10, 12 week lead time there just from the time that the orders are placed until we see them in the U.S., then they go through our manufacturing operation. And if you've ever had the opportunity, I hope you'll take the time to come see. I'm eager to. Because when you're dealing with color, it is a totally different manufacturing operation than if you were dyeing fabrics or, or some other means, right? right. And so, uh, you know, you go through the yarn manufacturing process. Uh, it can take you know, several weeks of processing to get through yarn manufacturing. 
Then you got to transfer that yarn onto a, a what we call a beam, and that starts really the fabric formation side of the of the business. Then you put it through your weaving operation. Then it goes if it needs any extra um, uh, value added type uh, processing that it may go through, whether it's softening or needle punch, things of that nature. Then you apply a finish to it. I mean, that entire process is another several weeks in, in nature just to get those through the pipeline. So, I mean, that entire supply chain, and it's what we work on every day is how do we compress that time, uh, that cycle time. Um, but when you have a portfolio of, you know, a palette that is as broad as our palette, not only, and you're dealing with color, so every time that you put a color into a manufacturing operation, when you change that color, you have to go in and clean out and clean up that entire manufacturing operation. Right. Because a, a piece of fiber that you could hold in your hand, if a blue gets into a red, as an example, it could produce off quality for thousands of yards of fabric. That's, that's how the preciseness that you have to be in the cleaning of, of all of this equipment as you're processing as well. So it's a lengthy process, but it's all related to the fact that we deal in color across all of our raw materials that we work with, because quite honestly, that helps us from a performance, you know, achieve the performance attributes that are really so important to, to uh, Sumbrella. We're taking a quick break to remind you about Coppersmith. Coppersmith offers designers an industry-leading loyalty program where participants enjoy enhanced benefits and rewards, including free samples. Order your samples today or snatch them up in person at KBiz in Orlando, Florida, where Coppersmith will be raffling off a 72-inch copper fire pit. To learn more, visit worldcoppersmith.com. So when you think about expanding your capacity, when you think about where the, the shortfall is coming from, where is it in that process that you need greater capacity? Yarn manufacturing is where we have currently have had a bottleneck, and, okay. um, and that's what we're working to address. It is... Uh, one of the most complex operations and from a, the, the color changing that I described in the way that mm-hmm. we operate, it, it just has a, a lot of complexity around that. So that's where we're making the, the investment today. Not only are we looking for embedding new long-term suppliers um, that can support Sumbrella, but at the same time, we're building a new plant um, near Raleigh, North Carolina, building onto our Norlina facility um, to increase the capacity there. Help me understand how long it takes to to get a factory up and running that will meaningfully increase your, your supply. Yeah, so that's an 18-month process. Okay. And so we're looking that for it to, uh, you know, to be supporting the business in 2023. Okay. It was the reason why I mentioned earlier that uh, the, that's not part of our short-term solution, right? Those are actually in support of longer term ambitions and and programs that will launch. Now, when we recently spoke with your friend uh, Bu White as you as you know, <laughs> his feeling was that a lot of 2022 is already sort of baked in the cake. Is that your feeling as well? Is your inventory basically 
spoken for for the most part for 2022 or i think for most people in our industry sector wherever you are in that supply chain would say would agree with you in that okay. i mean unless we have unless there's a black swan event that creates beyond this pandemic um i believe that 22 is is just as he described okay because he he indicated he's he's getting orders back that are suggesting they'll be fulfilled in december of of next year does that sound about right to you yeah, I mean that sounds to be a little bit far far reaching, but um, okay. but again, I think he's making the broader point and you know right. expressing some of the frustration that that some have felt. So we are hopeful, and I and more than hope, we are working towards significant progress. I've already mentioned that we're seeing the week over week progress now. For that to continue to improve throughout calendar uh, 2022, and then as I mentioned before, with our new projects coming online in 2023, then we feel like clearly we'll be in a much different situation at that point. Okay. And I know that you've made quite a sizable investment. You announced not not too long ago, I, I believe it was a $250 million investment in, in capacity e- expansion. What specifically makes up that quarter of a, of a billion dollar in investment? So it's roughly half split between the yarn manufacturing and then also uh, new finishing technology and some um, expansion that we're doing to support our distribution business in South Carolina. Um, and we do also have two operations, a new plant that we have just scaled in Europe to support our global supply chain. Mm. They are weaving fabric today and, and they will be building a new distribution center as well. So that's part of that total investment. But in the U.S., is to support yarn manufacturing and then um, some downstream processing that we do. Well, and you mentioned earlier, and I want to help listeners understand, you mentioned earlier your intellectual property and and really Sombrella back in the early 1960s, right, was was really the one that sort of brought performance fabric as, as we know it today in, into being. And I, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit of the of the history there, so we get sort of a, a sense of, of what the company built. Sure. So Glenn Raven, from its founding, has you know we've been involved in color. Early 1900s, we were dyeing fabric at the time um, that we were using for you know mercantile storefronts. If you can imagine the time um, back then, cotton canvas. They were natural fibers. And they were dyed, you know, whatever color that uh, that was desired. And interesting that as early as 1900, we were actually producing striped fabrics, and so we were copywriting stripes as part of our um, zebra line. And so we had a line called Zebra Stripes, and uh, <laughs> back in the early 1900s, one of the issues with natural fibers and the canvas that we were producing at the time is the inherent susceptibility to mildew and then over time degradation and, and rot. Mm. And so, and that was just, that was just the case. And so as we moved into the 1930s, we started experimenting with other synthetic fibers for a broad range of applications. And then uh, we started picking up a lot of the military work. They were wanting tents made from the canvas that we were producing. And what was important to them was water repellency. Um, So that was another feature that they were looking for. So in the 1950s, 
one of the members of the Gantt family, Roger Gantt, started working with um, a raw material supplier, fiber producer, Monsanto, large company. And he said, look, I know that acrylic, you know, that it's, it's a very stable fiber, doesn't promote mildew growth, but doesn't have color. So we started working together to create this solution dyed acrylic, which is essentially injecting the color into the fiber when it's still in liquid form. And so, you know, not only did he want to solve these issues that were being created by these natural fibers, he also wanted to come out with the first fabric that, that had a warranty on it. He wanted to say, look, we'll stand behind it. That's how, you know, how much we believe. And though, so in 1961, uh, it was branded Sumbrella, and that became the, the start of the, of the story. And, you know, in those early days, it was very much a canvas, and it had all the features of canvas. Yes, it was durable, <laughs> and it was water right. repellent, but it was rough. and <laughs> A little rough. Yeah, a little, little rough. rough. And, um, you know, we, we improved that, and we took that from what would be, sit, you know, a storefront, you know, into the the boating and, um, you know, different applications in the boating sector and then into automotive. And then uh, in the 80s is when we started seeing you know, how much strap furniture do you have to sit on, you know, when you're outside or around a pool and we, you know, and with the performance attributes, how can we make it where, yes, we can retain all the performance attributes that our customers have come to expect from Sunbrella but let's make it beautiful. Let's do, do some things different. And, and of course, that was part of the learning, right? Because not only was it us becoming better in terms of our innovation and what we were doing from a design standpoint, but it was also bringing the technology along and us being able to do uh, unique things with yarns that help provide texture. And so it's just been part of this evolution. And you know, in some cases we're pursuing technology and others we're pulling technology with us, but that's just been kind of a hallmark for us is just, you know, it's not about what you're doing in the moment. It, it's, it's what's next. Well, and, and we should tell listeners, and then you've, you've touched on this, that Sumbrella is, is just one part of the sort of giant Glen Raven organization. And, and it sounds as if there's a lot of shared technology and, and, and shared techniques and, and, and people within the organization. Yes. Yes. Glen Raven is currently comprised of three business units, Sunbrella and everything related to Sunbrella, our Dixon brand in Europe. And then I'm TriVantage, which is our distribution arm, mm. uh, catering to a broad range of industry sectors. And then we have our technical fabrics group, which has been uh, heavily invested in the automotive sector, um, has, has done a, a range of highly technical, more science-oriented products and bringing those innovations to the market. But in recent years, has really worked hard to scale their brand Glengard, which is used for protective fabrics and workwear. And our newer business is... Uh, fully integrated construction company doing infrastructure build out in India. So yes, it's a broad portfolio. You were mentioning earlier that indoor fabric seems like it's still such a huge opportunity for you mm -hmm. that, that, that obviously you're, you've got a, a strong core market in, in outdoor fabric, but you've only just begun. And it seems as if performance fabric in general just has such a long runway uh, ahead of it. 
how are you thinking about that? And how do you think you, you go after a greater percentage of the, of the indoor market? You know, when we first entered the indoor space with a performance fabric, I remember showing up at High Point and listening to our team and, you know, the first showroom they go in and they're presenting is they're like, well, we don't plan to put this sofa outside, you know, and we're saying, no, if you've got a family with a, uh, you know, with a, you know, this active lifestyle, I mean, this is the product for you. These performance attributes um, are important. And, you know, why have the, the one or two rooms in your house that are beautiful, but you can enjoy for fear of, uh, you know, something uh, being damaged. So for us, it's just, hey, look, you know, we want families to be together. We want you to enjoy your space. We want it to be beautiful. So what can we do to help create that? And so we've looked at performance as a portfolio of features. You know, we, we see um, and a lot of incredible companies in our industry and, and um, they're making great product. But you often see people that would take one performance attribute and now it's performance fabric. And so just for us, our view has been it's really more than that. It's a combination of performance attributes that really make it worry free. But, oh, by the way, let's make it beautiful. Let's make sure it's got the design elements that are relevant uh, and that we can make a compelling case and we can make it inspiring for the designers who we're um hoping that we'll continue to use and use more Sumbrella in their projects. We're taking a quick break to remind listeners to visit thebrunoeffect.com, a new online marketplace where interior designers can source high-end furniture and collectibles on their own terms. A treasure trove of antique, vintage, and contemporary design, the platform showcases thousands of the finest pieces from vetted dealers across the globe. More than just a marketplace, the Bruno Effect is a hub of inspiration, with curated collections from world-renowned designers and the latest stories from the world of design. Visit thebrunoeffect.com now to start your new sourcing journey. In terms of how you're how you're thinking about where the opportunities in the future are, I noticed that you didn't have a stand at, at BDNY, the big hospitality show recently. I'm I'm assuming maybe you're thinking not a great time to have a have a booth, where, right? Where you don't have a lot of product to offer. But I, but I assume uh, some of your team must have must have walked to the show, and uh, and I'm wondering what you think about the hospitality market right now and, and when you think that's likely to come back in a, in a meaningful way. Incredibly important to us and to mm -hmm. the brand. And so, I mean, resort and hospitality is where, I mean, it's where we built a lot of the branding was built in, in that sector. And so our absence at any trade show in the moment should not be construed as lack of interest. Uh, Cause I can assure you that we're continuing to make heavy investments and, and are looking forward to the day when we can, you know, we're back out on the ground and having the presence that you all have come to expect. But yeah, we see the opportunities in resort and hospitality. It's coming back. Um, we're going to continue to invest. We're going to continue to support that market. It's a part of our history and we feel like it's definitely a part of our future. It sounds like you're thinking about so many opportunities and it sounds like you're trying to process so much information 
around where these markets are and and when they're likely to reopen in a meaningful way. I'm curious what you're looking at most closely. We're we're at a time now where we're we, we've seen this new variant introduced and it's and it's caused some jitteriness in the stock market. The Federal Reserve has indicated that the right that the chairman is going to stay the course as as far as slowing down some of their some of their spending and their bond purchases and looking to raise interest rates in, into next year. Is that important to you? Is that meaningful to you? Are you looking at this inflation issue as a big headwind? Tell me about that. You know, I would argue, uh, you know, those that claim that it's transient or some aspect of it's transient, I may take the other side of that argument because I do believe it is here with us for a, for a long time. And so, yes, I mean, we, you know, as a privately held company, we feel very good about the investments that we've made. But beyond that, you know, we do recognize that there are, in all likelihood, I mean, if you look at past global crisis and what happens in the economy surrounding those. Yes, you know, a, a period of rapid growth is usually, you know, preceded by some downturn. And we don't know what that really looks like, but we're bullish about the future. Yes, we're going to have some some uh, bumps in the road and some disruptions. No question, we're in it now. But we are, but we're very optimistic about the future for our industry broadly. Well, and, and Lieb, you've you've mentioned several times that it's a privately held company. It's also historically always been a family-owned and operated company, and yet remarkably you, Lieb, scratched and clawed your way to the top and became the first non-family member to be running this organization. Tell me who you had to knock down to make that possible leap. Tell me the real story. Hey, so as I understand it, you don't want to be the first non-family CEO. You want to be the second non-family CEO. So so we'll figure out how that goes. And I, but I, I say, I say to the Gantt family and Alan Gantt, who's our chair that look, if it doesn't work out or I don't deliver what you, you expected, it's your fault. We've been together for 30 years. So. Do you think he sensed that this was coming? Do you think he said, oh, this is a good time for me to step away and put Lieb in position? I tell you what, he's a smart guy. Yeah, if he, if he did. But but really, I mean, this is this is remarkable, the, the, the position that you've ascended to. So, so tell me how, how, how you really did make the impression you clearly have on the family and, and, and what did lead to, to you taking the the top position. Well, you're, you're too kind, but you know, I was fortunate that uh, you know I was recruited by a much larger um, and a large textile manufacturer when I was leaving university, and um, my father had spent 30 years in the textile industry, and so I had secured an offer, did it on my own. You know, um, thought he was going to be very proud. I went home to tell him. And you would have thought it was the most rebellious thing that I had ever done. <laughs> and look, I went to a rivalry school of the school that he pulled for. So, I mean, there was a lot, lot to pull from. Um, and he just said to me, he said, son, if you are interested in getting in this business, then I'm going to encourage you that before you make that decision and accept that offer, that you give Glen Raven a call because they've got something really special going on with Sunbrella. Now, what was going on at the time is that Sunbrella, which grew up in the corner of another plant in another business that Glen Raven owned, had finally earned its way to come out of the shadows and have its own 
plant and its own you know team, and they did that through an acquisition in in South Carolina. And so I was fortunate enough to to join that team, and and then it just um, you know you work hard and you work with great people who support you and elevate you, and and that's just kind of been been my story. And I've had uh, we laugh about it. I've had. 13 positions now within Glen Raven. And, you know, if we go back to the early 90s, one of my first projects for Glen Raven was to uh, work on the team and lead the team that built the million square foot manufacturing operation in Anderson, South Carolina. And it was far less about me, but we had such a great team. And here's what's important. Alan Gant came to, to Anderson, South Carolina, and we were looking to add capacity and so we were looking at how to modify the turn of the century textile plant that we were operating in. And he said, what if we just go out and just do it ourselves? You know, I mentioned when I was describing our manufacturing process it is so far different than you would see typically in the textile industry. He said, we need to do it. And he said, and oh, by the way, I don't want the people involved who have built plants for me in the past and have their own preconceived ideas of what needs to be done. I want somebody who this is new for them. So me and one of my peers, both of us in our mid twenties, we got our passports and we traveled the world. And he wanted us to bring new concepts, new ideas inside the textile industry, outside the textile industry, the most amazing um, time in my, my life and the most educational and came back with a design, got it approved. At that time for Glen Raven, you know, it was a swing for the fence in terms of the investment, but really showed how much passion they have for this industry sector that you and I are involved in. And um, I think since that time, quite honestly, to put that much trust in a 27-year-old that was just really getting started, I think I've spent the rest of my career trying to, uh, to pay them back for that. And that's really the story. Trying to earn that trust? Trying to just pay them back for giving a young man, yeah. putting that much faith in him and his team and allowing, again, it was me and a group of young peers and, and a much broader group. And they have just, um, you know, embraced all of us like uh, family. And we just want to, you know, we want them to be successful. As you think about 2023 and and beyond, are are you running your business with a mindset that there is just a, a tremendous growth rate that the business is, is going to be experiencing for, for years to come and investing uh, accordingly? Is that what you're imagining? For the broader business? Uh, yes. I mean, clearly it's not going to be linear. And so, uh, you <laughs> right. know, we always that would be the case. And, and yeah. you know, we're not naive to the environment that we're operating in. Um, the pull forward, as you describe it, in terms of the demand but what I'm hoping for for our industry sector is that we will think about how to take this opportunity we've been given and the growth that we've seen and how do we build on that. I've had conversations over the last 18 months with uh, with Alan Gant and said, you know, you see where, you know, private companies and, you know, the seller's market that it is. And he says, Lee, let me just make this clear on behalf of the family you worry about the next 140 years. And that gives us great comfort to run this business and continue to in, invest, to support these markets, 
and um, and do it in a way that we think we can make a a great contribution to the markets that we serve. And so often that's the advantage that privately held companies have, right? Is that they can have that longer term view. It's foundational. And we have that conversation all the time because all segments of our supply chain, we deal with other forms of ownership that, you know, that have their own, their own challenges. And, and as a privately held company, you know, their challenges in terms of it's all on you, right? I mean, you know, you don't have broad range access to capital markets if you want to remain a tightly held privately company, but we, you know, we plan appropriately, but we're, it's foundational for us because we are thinking about the long term. I'm not to the end of my career, but my team is already looking at positioning and bringing along the next generation of leadership to make sure that we have a, you know, have a, a great handoff so that they can continue to achieve things that you know, we haven't even thought of uh, at this point. And are you sitting on a great big war chest right now, Lieb? Are you are you sitting on a, on a good pile of money that you're looking to put to to work in the in the coming year? We're putting it to work. Okay, but Glenn Raven is always you know fiscally conservative. We manage right. the balance sheet. I mean, you know that that has not been a, a concern, nor would it be. I mean, we'd be making different investment decisions. So there is, uh, you know, we're very thoughtful in how we manage manage that. And so again. We wanted to put ourselves in a position to be able to invest. We knew that the markets would be changing. And therefore, how do we do that to best support our customers? And those are the investments that we're in a position to uh, to make today. And I just, I just can't say enough about my team here who have given so much of themselves to put us in a position for you to even ask the question, you know, about the, <laughs> the investments that we're, that we're, that we're making. Well, I want interior designers to to very clearly hear and and understand the message that that you want to put out there because as as you talked about earlier, of course it's been a frustrating time for some people who right who have been waiting a long time for for product and and that's why I was so eager to speak with you and and to create the opportunity for designers to to hear very clearly your message and what you want to say to them about your your plans for the future and and sort of addressing all of these challenges that we've all been dealing with. And thank you for so much for uh, for giving me the opportunity. Uh, this design community, the designers who are part of your community, they're so critical to the markets that we serve and uh, just could say enough in terms of how much we appreciate the work that they do. And um, we know that in order for us to be successful, we want them to be successful and um, and we're going to work incredibly hard to make that happen. And, and uh, I do th- look forward to the day that we're not talking about supply chain issues and we're, you know, we're talking about how to really elevate the market because I do believe that that opportunity is right there in front of all of us. And we're going to overcome the challenges of the day. I'm confident of that. And that's why I'm just so, so optimistic and so excited about the future. It's the most exciting time in my 30 year career. And I just, uh, I'm looking forward to, to what tomorrow and what next year brings. Well, I am as well. And I so appreciate that optimistic message and, and tone. And I'm grateful for you taking the time to talk with us, Lee. So thank you. Thank you, Dennis. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to keep up with the latest design industry news, visit us online at businessofhome.com where you can sign up for our newsletter, browse job listings, and join our BOH Insider community for access to online workshops, a free print subscription, and much more. 
If you have a note for the podcast, drop us a line at podcast at businessofhome.com. If you're enjoying these conversations, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps others to discover the show. This show was produced by Fred Nikolaus and Caroline Burke and edited by Michael Castaneda. I'm Dennis Scully. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next week.